Welcome to the Walk and Verse Journey. We're going to explore history, current events, through poetry and prose. Sit back and come along for the ride. Hello and welcome. Episode number 11. This is May 1st, 2020. And today I'm going to focus on the First Amendment and on freedom of religion. As we look across the country, we can see that our rights are being trampled by governors. And it doesn't seem like there's anybody from the federal branch to make sure that these governors stop overstepping their boundaries. So with that being said, I want to cover this to help people understand what the First Amendment is and show how there's been violations to it. So the First Amendment says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of governance. So redress means to make something right. The people have the right to correct unconstitutional acts, which means that the governors cannot stop people, even during a time of crisis, from peaceably assembling to cease their legal actions. And also the court has interpreted the due process clause of the 14th Amendment as protecting the rights in the First Amendment from interference by state governments. So basically what it says is that the states cannot supersede the Constitution and must adhere, and the elected officials must honor the oath in which they swore, or, if not, face the consequences thereof, which can be treason. And the penalties for treason is that a person guilty of it can suffer death, or... They can be imprisoned not less than five years and fined under the title, but not less than $10,000. And they'll give up the right to ever hold an office in the United States ever again. So basically, they can never be elected to any office within the United States. Now, I want to jump over to due process. And the due process clause and the 14th Amendment clause are how the first is protected. And it's the vehicle in which is used to protect the first from the states not honoring it, all right? So the Due Process Clause says that the Constitution states only one command twice. The Fifth Amendment says to the federal government that no one shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. The Fourteenth Amendment, which is ratified in 1868, uses the same 11 words called the Due Process Clause to describe the legal obligation of all states, all right? So you can see that this clause is important because it forces the state to adhere to the First Amendment. These words have their central promise on assurance that all levels of American government must operate within the law and provide fair procedures, due process. And then the 14th Amendment says that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privilege or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, 
All right. Again, the word liberty. Liberty is a noun. And what it means is the quality or state of being free, right? Freedom. Freedom from physical restraint. Right now, we're being restrained to our homes by governors using orders which are not constitutional. Now, let's go over the overview of what the First Amendment is. Again, I'm reading a lot of this verbatim from the legal papers um, about the Constitution. And it says, the First Amendment of the United States Constitution protects the right to the freedom of religion and freedom of expression from government interference. It prohibits any laws that establish a national religion, impede the free exercise of religion, abridge the freedom of speech, infringe upon the freedom of the press, interferes with the right to peacefully assemble, or prohibits citizens from petitioning for a government redress of grievances. And this was adopted into the Bill of Rights in 1791. Now, let's look at two reasons why the Bill of Rights were instituted, okay? And those two reasons were to protect against tyranny and tyrants. Tyrants is when somebody becomes an absolute ruler unrestrained by law or constitution. And as we're seeing in some of our states right now, some of these governors are unrestrained by law or the constitution. They're doing it as they see fit. They are a usurper of sovereignty, a ruler who exercises absolute power oppressively or brutally. Well, think about that. So would you consider a mom and her kid at a park being arrested to be excessive power? While at the same time, these same governors are releasing from prison prisoners. I also saw an article today how in Maine, they are now going to arrest people if they don't wear a face mask. So how does that even make any sense? Last time I checked, we did not live in the Soviet Union or communist China. We live in the United States. And right now these governors are completely out of control. And now tyranny is described as oppressive power, every form of tyranny over the mind of men. Thomas Jefferson especially stated that oppressive power exerted by government, the tyranny of a police state. And we are seeing across the United States today, a police state. (laughs) Now I am seeing some uh, sheriffs starting to say that these orders are unconstitutional and they will not adhere to them. And stating that if need be, and God forbid, we will invoke the second amendment to protect our freedoms. And I hope it doesn't get to that, but right now it's starting to look more and more of that's the direction in which it might take. Now, a freedom of religion. I'm going to show you some examples of how governors are violating the First Amendment. And this is going to focus around, again, the freedom of religion. So there's two clauses in the First Amendment that guarantee freedom of religion. The Establishment Clause, which prohibits the government from passing legislative, sorry, from passing legislation to establish an official religion or preferring one religion over another. And then the free exercise clause, which prohibits the government in most instances from interfering with a person's practice of their religion. Prohibiting Congress. So the word prohibiting is a verb. So it means it's an action taking place. And so if Congress is prohibited, it means that they cannot forbid an action or activity by authority or law. So when they say, for example, smoking is prohibited, well, they couldn't do that in regards to religion. So they couldn't forbid that, right? Or to forbid an action of a person or to prevent or hinder. Now, before I go to the examples, I want to read about 
the Establishment Clause and also the Free Exercise Clause, all right? The Establishment Clause, and what I'm going to actually bring up as an example was in Minneapolis, they gave a special grant uh, for a noise permit for Ramadan's Call the Prayer, and it made you a city for Islam. Now, the Establishment Clause states the First Amendment's Establishment Clause prohibits the government from making any law respecting an establishment of religion. This clause not only forbids the government from establishing an official religion, but also prohibits the government's actions that unduly favors one religion over another one. So anytime a government, a governor will give more privilege to one religion than another religion, that goes against the Establishment Clause. The Free Exercise Clause, and again, this ties back into the 14th Amendment, and it's basically how the courts applies the Bill of Rights at the state level. It says that the Free Exercise Clause reserves the right of American citizens to accept any religious belief and engage in religious rituals. The Free Exercise Clause reserves the right of American citizens to accept any religious belief and engage in religious rituals. Okay? Another section states that the Free Exercise Clause not only protects religious belief and expression, it also allows for violation of laws, as long as that violation is made for religious reasons. In the terms of economic theory, the Free Exercise Clause promotes a free religious market by precluding taxation of religious activities by minority sects as well. Now, let me continue on here. It also talks about how that due to the 14th Amendment, the Free Exercise Clause is enforceable against state and local governments. This act of using the 14th Amendment as a vehicle through which the court applies the Bill of Rights to the states is also known as the Incorporation Doctrine. And the Incorporation Doctrine is a constitutional doctrine through which the first 10 amendments of the United States, known as the Bill of Rights, are made applicable to the states through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. So remember earlier how I talked about how that the vehicle in which the states had to adhere to the first was through the 14th and the Due Process Clause, and this is how it's done is through the Incorporation Doctrine. And it talks about how that the 14th Amendment incorporation applies both substantially and procedurally. Now, it says that prior to the doctrine and the 14th Amendment existence, the Bill of Rights applied only at the federal level, right? The federal and to the federal courts. States and state courts could choose to adopt similar laws, but were under no obligation to do so. But after the passage of the 14th Amendment, the Supreme Court favored a process called selective incorporation. Under selective incorporation, the Supreme Court would incorporate certain parts of certain amendments rather than incorporating an entire amendment at once. But now, if it's fully incorporated, then therefore the state has to adhere to it, all right? So what is fully incorporated? Well, the First Amendment is fully incorporated. It guarantees against the establishment of religion, Everson versus Board of Education, 1947. The free exercise of religion, Hamilton versus Regents of the University of California, 1934. The Second Amendment is also fully incorporated the right to keep and bear arms. So, and that was McDonald versus Chicago, 2010. So you can see right now that the First Amendment is fully incorporated. The Second Amendment is fully incorporated. Now, they have something called the Lemon Test, and it has three parts. This was in uh, 1970. It's Lemon versus Kutzman, 403 U.S. 602. 
again, 1970. And the court provided a three-part test for establishment clause analysis. And I'm just going to read you what the parts are rather than going to the actual test. But it says this, does the law have a secular purpose? If not, it violates the establishment clause. Two, is the primary effect either to advance religion or to inhibit religion? If either, it violates the establishment clause. And number three, does the law foster an excessive governmental entanglement with religion? If yes, again, it violates the clause. All right. Now, I want to go over one more thing before I get to these examples, and that was a memorandum from Attorney General. As a reminder, it was a federal law of protection for religious liberty. And it says this, Religious liberty is a foundational principle of enduring importance in America, enshrined in our Constitution and other sources of federal law. As James Madison explained in his memorial, Remonstrance Against Religious Assessments, the free exercise of religion is in its nature an unalienable right because the duty owned to one's creator is precedent both in order of time and in degree of obligation to the claims of civil society. One, religious liberty is not merely a right to personal religious belief or even to worship in a sacred place. It also encompasses religious observation and practice. Observance and practice, sorry about that except in the narrowest circumstances. No one should be forced to choose between living out his or her faith and complying with the law. Therefore, to the greatest extent practicable and permittable by law, religious observance and practice should be reasonably accommodated in all government activity, including employment, contracting, and programming. The following 20 principles should give administrative agencies and executive departments in carrying out this task. These principles should be understood and interpreted in the light of the legal analysis set forth in the appendix to this memorandum. Okay. And I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot of them, but the headlines or the bold would be like, you know, section 341. The freedom of religion is a fundamental right of paramount importance expressly protected by federal law. It's a fundamental right. 342. The freedom of religion extends to persons and organizations. Businesses? 344. Government may not officially favor or disfavor particular religious groups. We'll hit that up in a minute. 345. Government may not interfere with the autonomy of a religious organization. And, and if you read these, it talks about how the free exercise clause and the Establishment Clause also restrict government interference in interdenominational disputes about doctrine, discipline, and so forth. Anyway, now I want to come back to the examples that I talked about earlier. And we think about tyranny and tyranny and tyrants and violation of the First Amendment. Here are some examples. So there's an article titled, A.G. William Barr warns states against singling out religious gatherings when enforcing social distancing. This was April 15, 2020. And the article read, a part of it read, Barr specifically referred to an incident in Mississippi during which the police fined church attendees $500, even though they were only listening to the service on the radio in their car, in the parking lot. So they're in the parking lot, in their cars, not around anybody else. They weren't near anybody. They're in their cars, windows rolled up on the radio, and they were given a $500 ticket. So keep that in mind. 
Another article came out on April 3rd, 2020 in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> this was kind of crazy. Ankle monitors ordered for Louisville, Kentucky residents exposed to COVID-19 who refused to stay home. It goes on and says how in Kentucky is taking severe measures to ensure residents exposed to the coronavirus stay at home. Louisville residents who have been in contact with coronavirus patients but refuse to isolate themselves are being made wear ankle bracelets. That doesn't sound like a free society to me. Um, DL is not the only Louisville resident ordered to wear ankle monitor to contain the spread of the coronavirus. According to WDRB, there are three other known cases so far. Two other people who live in the same home, one who's tested positive and the other who has not, were ordered to remain in their home last week after both refused to stay isolated. Another man was put under house arrest when he went shopping despite having tested positive for coronavirus. Now here's the problem with this whole thing anyway. The tests are not accurate. I, I'm not, I don't have this document in this podcast, but if you could do a little bit of research, you'll see how the CDC sent out tests back in April and they were all contaminated, which means that the, um, well, sorry, February, which means that they were all contaminated with coronavirus. So if you took the test, you test positive. So these tests are not even accurate. And there's just so much craziness going on around the testing. For example, on some of the tests they use, if you show inflammation in your system, it shows you testing positive. So how do you know you're, if you're even t positive or not, right? And so these are just really tyrannical rules being pushed on the people without warrant. I mean, when you even look at the numbers now, we're seeing that the models used earlier were completely off and they were over-exaggerated and that the rate now seems to be lower than that of the flu. All right, so it's something you need to consider, especially when the 2018 season, 80,000 died from the flu and we didn't do anything to shut down the country or kill the economy. Again, it's something you need to consider. And another article came out April 10th, 2020. This one was kind of concerning where it talked about how a Baptist church member is given $500 tickets for listening to church service in their cars via the radio parking lot. And this is a follow-up to the other one. And it says that the members were given $500 tickets by local authorities for sitting in their car in the parking lot, listening to sermons from their pastor on the radio during a coronavirus pandemic. And that's what AG Barr is talking about. And what's bugging me is that this is special privilege because in Minneapolis, which I mentioned earlier on, that Islamic religion was given noise permits to do the Ramadan call to prayer, right, over a loudspeaker. But yet Christians who were in their car listening on the radio were given tickets. Sounds like a violation to me of the First Amendment. Another article came out on April 10th, 2020. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly sues GOP lawmakers for revoking her order limiting church gatherings. Again, Christian churches. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly sued a Republican-controlled legislative council Thursday after he revoked her executive order that limited church gatherings, making the latest chapter in an escalating conflict between public health and religion during one of the holiest times of the year. This was during Easter. Immediately, her order was met with stiff resistance from the lawmakers and law enforcement, setting up a battle over religious freedoms that has played out nationwide. Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt advised police not to enforce. That's why the a sheriff is standing down, too, because sheriffs are elected officials, and they also swore an oath to the Constitution when they're brought in to that position, just as the governors do. And you can see here how, like, the same oath was taken by both people, and one person realizes that they cannot enforce these illegal orders, but the governor is saying, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. It's getting pretty bad out there right now.
Another article came out on April 27th, 2020, where it talks about how um, a pastor, Louisiana pastor defies state home order, house arrest to hold services. And the pastor's name was Tony Spell, and he defied the state stayed home order and uh, his own house arrest in order to hold church services on a Sunday. You, you can see how like just, this isn't really about a pandemic, it's about totalitarian control. And we're just seeing such an abuse of power right now across the nation. Even in Washington, the governor made it illegal to go fishing. I mean, come on, really? Being out on a boat in the middle of a lake is probably the safest place you can be by yourself, not bothering anybody. I saw another article today how a 90-year-old couple was sitting on a beach in California again on lawn chairs, and they were told to get off the lawn chairs and sit on the beach sand or you have to leave. That's an abuse of power. And these police officers need to realize that when their uniform comes off, they're just like us. They're nothing special. That badge doesn't give them full power of totalitarianism. They gave an oath to protect the Constitution, and once they break that oath, they're no longer officers of the law. They're tyrants, and they need to be held accountable. I mean, it's time that maybe citizens start making citizens arrest against these um, people that are abusing their power. And I want to wrap this up with two more. And one is with the mayor of New York. Mayor Bill de Blasio catches hell for threatening to arrest Jewish citizens who gather in large groups. April 29th, 2020. The mayor is now getting backlash for threatening to arrest Jews who appear to ignore social distancing while mourning the death of a recently passed rabbi. I'm telling you folks, unless we stand up, we're walking straight into the gates of hell. This is Nazi Germany. I mean, even in Montana, there was another article that I saw about a week ago. People had to wear yellow armbands to show they didn't have coronavirus in order to go into a store to buy something. Now, in Nazi Germany, Jews were forced to wear yellow armbands with the Star of David on it. And I'm telling you, you have to stand up. If you want your freedom, it's up to you to take it. Freedom is not free. It comes with a great deal of responsibility. And that freedom and responsibility that we have to um, have is not always going to be easy. And with one last thought is on civil disobedience. Martin Luther King. And there's a quote by a man by the name of Henry David Thoreau. He says that disobedience is a true foundation of liberty. The obedient must be slaves. If you enjoy the episode, please consider a membership at $5 a month. You'll gain access to all past, present, and future e-reports and books, as well as member-only content. The link is in the description of the episode. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at walkinverse at protonmail.com. W-A-L-K-I-N-V-E-R-S-E at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. And until next time, keep the faith, stay safe, and peace.